really cool thing, so just kind of thinking the last couple months, we've had quite a few people kind of join in to our midst and kind of start journeying with us being a part of our community. And so I wanted to kind of give you a quick orientation because uh, we're kicking off studying Philippians today, which Andy already told you, and we'll do, and we'll cover every single verse of Philippians. And, and I, and I want to orient you because if you've kind of come along in the last two months or so, we really haven't been doing that. We did an Advent series, and then we did a prayer and worship Sunday, and we did a vision Sunday, and we had another Sunday, um, all rooted in Scripture, but not necessarily this typical form, which is our, our norm. And so wanted to let you know, like, we're stepping into this, and, and also to let you know why we mostly teach through kind of whole books of the Scripture of, of the Bible. And first off is because we just simply believe that, that scriptures that we've been given in the Bible is the word of God. It is the very word of God, his truth, his character for us, and that it's good for our learning, our growing, our understanding who God is, our understanding who we are. And if we want to be a place that's going to honestly and earnestly kind of join together and asking the big questions of life in faith and pursuing, you know, again, like this is for everyone. And so how do we pursue God other than coming to the very truth and way in which he has made himself known uh, primarily? And so we hold scripture up as that opportunity. And so that's why we do that. Um, secondly is because we don't want to skip difficult passages. Um, again, because we believe all of it is good. All of it is from God. All of it is for our good and for the glory of him and the good of the world, um, we, we don't want to skip difficult, pa difficult passages because there's good in those as well. And so when we commit to go through a book, granted, I haven't committed to go through Daniel yet. You know, like that's another day down the road. Like it's a whole, it's a whole book that's difficult. Um, but we can't just skip over ones that are hard to address, whether it's over like social kind of, kind of pressures, external pressures, or just kind of grappling and the mystery of God. And so this forces us to really kind of faithfully and humbly, again, come to the Word because we believe, again, that, that it is the given truth of God and it helps shape our understanding. And we don't want to try to conform God into our image or define the world by our emotions in what we would say is true in our own minds. And then lastly, we want to develop a strong appetite for the word of God. Um, we, we want to um, develop an appetite for that and the fellowship that comes with God and each other through this, the fellowship of the word. And so we want to model that and create space for that here. And also there's kind of this kind of being caught over taught way of equipping you to, to even kind of know how to come to the word and gain understanding and not just analyze it, but to be transformed by God through it. And so there's this, there is a, a, a work of just it teaching all of us how to come to the Word because we try to employ the same way we would engage Scripture personally to inform what we teach here. So just wanted to give you some background to that, let you know why we do it instead of just jumping in. So that being said, we are in Philippians. So I just want to give us some quick background to Philippians to help us kind of understand what's going on. Because again, if we want to understand this that w to, and be able to say that all of Scripture is good, it's not always a one-to-one -one transference, right? They didn't, they didn't have the technology we had. They didn't have the roads that we had. They didn't have, you know, the, the kind of way of life. It was very different, but yet the principles and the truths are universal and timeless. And so we have to understand what was going on in culture, what was the intent of the author, all those kind of things. So I want to give some background just to help everybody, right? So we, if you grew up around the church, maybe you've heard, we, we often call 
the segments in the Bible books, right? Books of the Bible. But what this is is a letter. This is a letter from Paul, um, who was kind of an itinerant pastor, missionary church planter, uh, to a church in, in a city called Philippi, which is today and is still called Philippioni or something like that, and it's in southern Greece. Um, and it's, uh, it, 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 it's a church there in Philippi. Philippi itself was a Roman colony that was resettled as that in AD 42 when, at the, when the Battle of Philippi was, was won by the Romans. And so then it became led by Antony and then later Augustus. And so, and then something interesting about that, maybe to some of you, maybe not to others, is that uh, it was a very Roman, Roman colony. Because not all of them were very Roman. This one was very Roman because they specifically set this one up to have special tax breaks for Roman military veterans. And so it was settled, you know, predominantly by Roman military veterans. And so you got to think, people that served in the Roman army that are continuing to kind of choose to live in a Roman colony, they're all in, right? They are very Roman. And so this is a, a, this is a, a, a Roman colony in Greece uh, that is very, very Roman. And those implications will play out as we, a little bit as we go um, through the rest of Philippians. But uh, interestingly, not as much than as uh, Paul's other letters, because this is less about what's happening in Philippi but it's more about a personal relationship that Paul has with the church in Philippi. And so this is, this is an extremely personal letter. It's much more of just a personal correspondence than what we see in Romans, which is like this really kind of pastoral, instructional gospel treatise, which we just did a two-year series of Romans that ended last year. And if you want to get to that, you can through all the digital resources. Or, or a corrective letter like we see in Galatians or, or the letters to the church in, in Corinth. This is a personal letter. And so, and there's reasons for it to be personal. You may not know, but the church in Philippi was the very first church that Paul planted or established in Europe. And so, it was, so that's, that's something really important to Paul. And then also, it was where Paul saw the first person come to Christ, the, to enter from death to life, to go from, from, again, being lost to being saved. Like his, what his whole life was about was seeing the world we redeemed with the work and truth of Jesus. And so if that's your heart's and life's desire and intent, the first time that happens is really important. So again, Philippi... It's very personal. It's also personal just because it's personal. They're friends. Like Paul has visited Philippi a lot. They've been really consistent in supporting him both in, like as a, as a friend emotionally as well as financially and in other ways. And so it's a, this is an extremely uh, personal letter. And Paul wrote this, interestingly, while he was in jail. And so he's in jail for his faith, and he is writing this. And he's writing to respond to the encouragement that he received from the church in Philippi as they sent Epaphroditus to him with, with support, both words of encouragement as well as probably some supplies and other support. And so he, first off, he is just kind of grateful, and you'll see this in the tone. And then also he is writing to let them know that Epaphroditus is well, because through the journey and through the effort, Epaphroditus became gravely ill and almost died. And again, he is a dear brother as well, and so he wanted them to know, like, hey, he's well, and I'm going to be sending him back to you. So again, like, so, so personal. And this is interesting because when we've looked at other letters from Paul, 
uh, context and like geopolitical realities play a huge role. Really through Philippians, what plays the biggest role is their relationship. And so it's really, so it's something really, it's not just kind of fun details. It's really helpful as we seek to understand. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll jump in. Um, God, you are so good and um, we love you. I just pray right now, um, just personally, I ask that you would still my heart and my mind. Lord, that you would arrest any words that are my own. Lord, that you would stir up an expectancy right now. Lord, for your intent of this time. Lord, as we just said, the word that you've given us in the scriptures is, the, is your very heart expressed to us. It's your very personhood and your character, Lord, exhibited and Lord, given. Lord, that we can know you, we can understand you, and also that we can know ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just be kind of challenged or intrigued by information, and I pray that we would not just analyze something, which is great to do in reason, but Lord, that we would encounter you, the living God. We would encounter you who is good and loving and kind and have shown the riches and the abundance of grace in Jesus. So Lord, I offer you this time. Lord, uh, speak through me, speak in spite of me, whatever it takes. Take the words that pass through my lips into this room, into ears and into hearts and into minds and catch them aflame by the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would be made witnesses, Lord, in every breath and every deed. Lord, just quite naturally because we are transformed and made new. In Jesus' name, amen. So a quick freebie, you know, Philippians, I said it's personal. And what I love about it is that, you know, again, Paul is not parsing out theology directly. He's not sitting here and laying out, again, you look at Romans, and I mean, it is just masterful in, way, in the way that he lays out these, these presuppositions and then addresses them and just deconstructs everyone's worldview and deconstructs and, and anticipates questions. And he does it, and he's always, a, you know, you see in every other letter, there is just this real direct instruction but again, here in Philippians, it's conversational, it's personal. But what I love is it's such a little freebie into the glimpse of what is intended for the people of God, the body of Christ, the church. Because to say that it's personal is not to, to say that it's devoid of theology. It's not devoid of rich truth. It's not devoid of doctrine. It's just presented in the same way that it's meant to present in our lives and relationships every day through the exchange of life, through the exchange of bringing our journey of faith with Christ into the spaces with one another. So, what, so it's just a little freebie to latch onto. Again, you'll see it unpacked through the next few months, um, but just something that I've been really encouraged and challenged by, um, and, and hopefully it'll do the same for you. So with that being said, I want to read the whole text in full. We're going to do Philippians 1, 1 through 8, and let's read all of those verses now. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I, ho I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, 
both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So quickly, Paul starts off in verses 1 and 2 with just kind of the perfect greeting. Like, you would, thinking about what is communicated here, this is what you kind of want to hear. And so he says, like, hey, I'm writing this. Timothy's here with me by my side. And and we're, and, and we're writing this, and there's one purpose to this letter, and it's the same purpose that overtakes all of our life. We are servants of Jesus Christ, and really that word is slaves. Like, we are not our own. Our life has been taken over by the cause and beauty and love of Christ. So he says, hey, that's why we come to you here. That's the intent of this letter is to help you understand that, to help you wrestle with that. And then he says to everyone who's in Philippi, you see that, to all, to all who are in Philippi, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, the overseers and the deacons. So he's saying, hey, it's not just the leaders. It's not just the inner circle of people that I know, love, and trust and get along with. It's like, hey, there, there are encouragements in this letter. There are truths in this letter. There are promises in this letter. And they are for everyone who is called on the name of Jesus, who finds themselves living under the banner of Christ. So again, just a, a beautiful picture. And then he starts really with the greatest wishes you could wish upon any person, right? He says, the grace and peace of God the Father through Jesus Christ for all of you. And so again, like to say, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm going to well wish you, if I'm going to wish you well, the richest thing you could say is I want you to experience the grace of God. Again, that unmerited favor where you, ex- where you reap the benefits of something you don't deserve, Right? You are given this glorious riches of life and salvation and belonging and love. And then peace. Again, there, we, we all long for peace, but we all long for really one peace, and that is peace with our creator. And he's saying through Christ, you now have peace with God. There is now no more enmity between you and him. There is no more separation in that confession and belief. So grace and peace to you. He's reminding him who they are as well as the promise to them. So just a beautiful greeting certainly sets the tone. Right? The tone is, is like encouraging, it's loving, it's excited, it's happy. And I would say the tone doesn't match the circumstance. I don't know if you caught it, but like, so if you caught the tone, like a lot of gratitude, like kind of gushy a little bit. You know, he's kind of gushing. You know, some people like that, some people don't. But he's, he's like, he's overwhelmed with gratitude, he's, he's, he's lovey, he's, he uses like, like, affection, the word affection, like, I don't know, I have a hard time using that word with dudes sometimes, you know, like, I have affection for you, Adam, right? I mean, I do, it's true, I can say it with Adam, um, but so, you know, uh, I guess I should not say who I can't say, anyway, um, thank you, I needed a break from focus, and we're back, though, um, but it's, it's, this tone of this is very positive, it's encouraging, it's loving, it doesn't match the circumstance, you know, but, but, like, this is the tone that I long for in my life. Like, I, I long to experience joy. I long to experience contentment. I long to experience confidence in who I am and what my purpose is. And I so often don't. I so, you know, I, the, the, this lightness and this freedom that Paul seems to have, this, he's not concerned and weighed down. And it's the circumstances that so often prevent me from experiencing that. But what is Paul's circumstance here? I've already said it. Verse 7 tells us he's writing while in jail. He's writing while he is imprisoned. Even though by 
some, some state law, he's rightfully accused, but in the grand scheme of the world and what is true, he is wrongfully accused, and he is enduring this. I mean, how in the world? Like, I, I read this, and I'm just like, mm. and I am desperate for this kind of life. And let me be clear, I'm not desperate for the kind of life in exchange where we are putting on faces, where we come together and we say, how are you? Oh, I'm great, brother. I'm great, sister. You know, life is good. Like, I don't, we put on a veneer. Like, that is the opposite of what we are invited into, and that's not what, but I am longing for, like, in spite of circumstances, I can have this contentment and joy and freedom. Paul is in prison writing this, and yet I have a hard time being grateful for having my perfect running, AC having forward focus, because it doesn't express what I think I should be driving and what fits my manhood or whatever. <laughs> like, it's, in, it's stupid. Like, it's, it's, but that's, like, that's me. And, and even more, I often experience the very pursuit of these very things as the reason that I'm discontent. Like, I want joy. Why don't I experience joy? Joy, gosh, I'm, my, my life's all right. I want contentment. Why am I not content? I should be more content. And then, I, you know, I'm mad for not being content. Like, it's, it's just, it's tough. So, yeah, I'm a mess. Um, I am. And, and, and I, I kind of suspect I may not be alone in some of these kind of feelings and perspectives. So how does Paul do it? What is his secret to joyful gratitude and contentment that he has in this circumstance? He's in prison, and yet he's writing something like this, thinking about others, grateful, joyful, content. So I don't want to give too much away now because this is really kind of the message of all the Philippians because we've got four more months of material that I have to leave room for, right? But to cover Philippians, first we have to see a key, the key is the, the, it's the key to the content of the letter itself. Um, through this whole letter, Paul is relentless to connect everything to the promise of Jesus in the gospel, to root everything in the gospel, to, to find everything to have its motive in the gospel of Jesus. So let me real quickly define gospel just to be helpful, make sure we're not, you know, we're not taking for granted. Gospel itself is the good news, because gospel means good news, so there's all kinds of gospel. Like there's gospel that, that, that our Christmas morning breakfast bread pudding, breakfast casserole bread pudding is done. Like that's the gospel of breakfast. Amber says breakfast is ready, Christmas is here. Like that's the gospel of Christmas morning in a food sense not the Jesus sense. Um, so the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus is that the work is the good news of the work that Jesus has accomplished of redeeming us to salvation through his coming, his life, his death, and his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance, what I also received, what I also received, and here's the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the gospel is the redeeming, restoring, reconciling work of Jesus in our life as we experience the salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. And so the gospel of Jesus is good news, and Paul connects everything. He shows the gospel is about more than just salvation, though, right? It's not just about our eternal place of peace. 
It is also here and now, and Paul will over and over again call us to this. The gospel of Jesus is good news for all of life, and Paul experiences this personally. So we have to see, and we can't blow over, that this is the foundation of Paul's joy and contentment. It's first a very personal experience of the redeeming, restoring work of Jesus in his life. So he has a very real personal hope and joy in Jesus, but what these verses really show us is how the gospel community, the people of God that he surrounds you with, ministers that joy and encouragement of the gospel to Paul and to us. That's really what's in view. So we have to keep that foundation in mind, but we have to see what is unfolding for us here, how the gospel community ministers that joy and encouragement. Today we'll see how God works to bring the encouragement of the gospel to one another through each other. Right? So we see that starting up here. We bring the encouragement of the gospel through the following things. So Philippians 1, 3, and 4 says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. So Paul's praying, and as he prays, he remembers God's promises, and he remembers them, and it fills him with joy. Let's unpack that. So what is Paul saying? So as he prays to God, Before we finish, I thought, let me ask this, like, what are we doing when we pray? What is prayer about? What is it for? When we're praying to God, what are we doing? You know, kind of the the diminished view of prayer is that we're kind of trying to wake God up by our fervency, maybe, or that we're bringing our list of things to our demands, our list of demands for God to fulfill and show us his goodness. Like, hey, God, you need to show me this. Or maybe we're, you know, bringing our gift list. Maybe we're bringing our, you know, we're just going to our doctor. You know, we're calling in kind of the commander-in-chief. But what prayer, as we see all through Scripture, is it's the seeking the heart of God. It's clinging to his promises and reflecting on his love and character, meditating on his goodness and his grace bringing our needs to him, bringing the needs of the world around us to him because he is the only one who can satisfy. He's the only one that can overcome. And we want to be a part of that however he desires and decides. That's what prayer is. So Paul is saying, it's a jo- first off, he's just saying like, hey, it's a joy to have someone that I care enough for to pray for. Like if I believe that God is the remedy for all things, his love and his goodness and his work through Jesus, like is the, the, the solution to all needs then if I love someone, I'm going to pray for someone. And so just in that, that posture of, like, giving of yourself and focusing on someone else, like, he, first off, just his encouragement comes from having someone that he has that kind of relationship with. But, but I think more deeply and, and more poignantly is, is that their lives, those that he's praying for, their lives and their love for him give him greater confidence in the love and grace of God because they give him tangible evidence that what God promises is indeed true. They give, them, they give him tangible pictures and realities of who God is and what he's done. We were just talking this morning, and we often talk about what, what God is like. We often talk about what God does and what he promises. But I know I don't ask often enough, it's like, what kind of God does those things? What kind of God makes that promise? And I can reflect that. I can reflect on that and contemplate that. And God does a work through that, surely, because it's personal and direct. But also, man, it becomes really vibrant when someone alongside you shows you 
in how they treat you and how they love you and how they sacrifice for you. So we bring the encouragement and joy of the gospel to one another through prayer, through both the, like, our own prayer, the body of Christ, living out the gospel, every part of their life and facet of life connected and rooted and motivated by the gospel of Jesus brings that encouragement. And this is not because every person is doing it perfectly, because that certainly wasn't the case in Philippi. Later we'll see that there, were, there was conflict, uh, Judea and Syntyche, that's how we want to say their names. Like, that's, that was there. Like, the, he says, hey, help them resolve. So it wasn't that Philippi was perfect. There was conflict. It was because they're committed to the gospel of Jesus and are committed to care for Paul out of that. So we, we, we experience the encouragement and joy of the gospel in our own prayers as God brings remembrance of each other into that time. Philippians 1.5 says, because of your partnership, again, we just said, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So now he's kind of laying out more of like how this works, like why. So Paul now gets more specific. He's encouraged in his prayers and beyond because of their partnership in the gospel with him. Right? So it is that they're alongside. And so we often think of like gospel, partnership in the gospel as mission. We think that if we're going to partner in the gospel, we're going to go and do something like for the gospel. We're going to see people come to know Jesus. We want to go and do missional activity, missional work. We want to do the work of God. And that certainly is part of it. And we'll see that more direct in a second. But it's more than that. It's not just mission and evangelism. And we cannot forget that the work of the gospel of Jesus is holistic. Jesus redeems and transforms our whole selves and our whole lives in every relationship. So partnership here is this word koinonia. Maybe you've heard it before. Koinonia is also translated as fellowship. And really what it means is like deep fellowship with participation. So it's deep fellowship with participation. So what is the focus of koinonia? So we, we have this point up here. We said partnership in the gospel. These are some subpoints here of what is this partnership. So first we see this shared participation in life. We see an owning of one another. That's, so that's friendship, right? It is deep friendship. We're not that just that we're kind of parallel alongside, but that we are in tune and aware and invested in owning each other's well-being, owning each other's life, owning each other's kind of, you know, emotions and experience and an understanding of who they are and who God is and what this world is all about. That's friendship. So you think about defining friendship just generally, I would say the, the kind of the basic foundational definition of friendship is people bound together by enjoyment of common interest, right? People bound together by enjoyment of common interest. That's kind of just the, the basic needs of friendship. If you're going to share space together with people in ways that's not annoying over time, like it's bound together by enjoyment of a common interest, but as time goes and as intimacy develops, the deeper that friendship goes, it's not just enjoyment of common interest, it is pursuing a common love and having a greater concern for one another. That is, again, when we think of deep fellowship with participation in each other's lives, that is the trajectory and that's what we see is a possible. Like, so you think about it, like as those who have called on Christ together, like, we, we've experienced the love of God, and therefore we're able to love like God. We've experienced the grace of God, so we're able to give the grace of God. 
and the list goes on. So now you imagine people together who are not just dependent on a common interest, a common hobby, a common, a common organizational cause, but now we are bound by something that transcends all of that. We're bound by the common experience of the love of God and therefore able to love like God. Philippians 1.7 says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So when we think about, so now he's saying like, hey, I feel this way about you, and it's right that I feel this way about you, um, because in, your, in our koinonia, um, you have stayed with me when it's difficult. They, they partake in his imprisonment. And, you know, and it could be that they are facing similar trials in Philippi as he is, similar persecution, but kind of staying kind of in just the context of the simple reading and the tone and the kind of the trajectory, it's more deeply that they didn't abandon him when he was imprisoned. It, just like anywhere else, there is a stigma with when someone is imprisoned. There is, there is like, hey, you know, how do we, you know, can we, and unfortunately the question is, like, can we associate? And unfortunately the church has done this way too often where when someone kind of falls into something that we would say is kind of like deplorable, the church has unfortunately pulled away all too often and not shown the love of God, not shown the grace of the gospel, not shown what true friendship is that is taking ownership and caring for. And Paul is saying, you've modeled this, you've done this, you've shown me the love of God and that you didn't abandon me, even though culture would say, I've done this. And they would say, mm, don't associate. I mean, I had a friend that uh, tried to commit suicide a few months ago. And, and then, and we, you know, we've been talking through it. And then I found out very unexpectedly that he took a job like six states away in a church and, and we're talking, and my, my kind of like my alarm bells are going off. I'm like, hey, did, did, you, did you tell them kind of about what you've been through? Did you tell them that you tried to commit suicide? And he's like, no, I'm afraid to tell them. And I was like, well, you sh-. I was like man, you should really bring them in. He's like, well, I don't want them to, to fire me. I don't want them to, like, you know, worry that I'm going to kind of ruin their reputation in the community. They would have someone who is wounded like me. And it broke my heart because I don't know if that's true of how the church would respond but unfortunately, it's a learned response over and over again in the name of people in the name of Jesus have, have done this. And I mean, again, I think we've all done it in some way. And so it's just this picture of you stuck with me. There is a friendship that goes deep and that you're willing to stay alongside. And so I pray that we are a people that can love with that kind of grace. Um, that, that we come alongside, we enter into the need. And so that's, that's the first part of Koinonia. The second part is that it's the shared participation in the gospel, gospel mission. And we'll see, it's interesting as Paul is writing this letter of, cons- of, of encouragement, one of the really the foundational things we see, his greatest concern in encouraging them is encouraging them to stay faithful to the work of the gospel in and through them, to the world around them. We'll see that unfold over and over again through all of Philippians. But he sees that there is this commitment, this shared participation in mission. Verse 7 also says that they, that they shared in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So think about it. Paul's going through it. He's here in this moment. He is, he is kind of alone. Yes, he has some people coming in and out, but he's the one in chains. He's faced so much hardship before this. Now he's, now he's in jail, but he's remained faithful to the gospel. But, man, that gets hard after a while. 
And it's so, it's so encouraging to look alongside and see someone with you. Um, has anyone ever heard of P90X workout? Has anyone ever done P90X? Okay, I just have one word. Plyometrics. What's your response? Just a sound or a word. Uh, head shake, worst day, ugh, right? Okay, that is universal, anyone that's ever done it. So I, I've done P90X a few times. It's been a while, um, but I did it a few times back in the day. The first time I went through it, I did it for eight months. I mean, eight months. Eight weeks, which is two months. And, um, and I never once completed the one-hour plyometrics workout. And I'm not just saying, like, I was inching up and getting, like, five minutes away. Like, I was stopping at, like, 30 minutes. I was, like, getting, like, that was, like, my peak. And, yes, I was getting in shape. I was, I went, I was like, going from very sedentary to trying. But, but still, I never made it. But the very first time that I had someone do plyometrics with me, like, from, from never finishing to the next time when my buddy Tim joined me, I was able to finish the plyometrics workout. And, and so, you know, maybe there was some competition, but more it's, it's that I saw that it was hard for Tim and that he kept going. And if, if it was hard for him and he could keep going, I could keep going. And then it was the mutual encouragement from Tim and I that we both were like, we would see each other struggling, and we had said, we're going to finish it today. And we would say, you can do it. Keep going. Like, that's the picture here of, of why it's such an encouragement and a source of joy to see someone partnering with you and, you know, in koinonia, this kind of shared mission of the gospel, because it is hard. It's daunting. It, it's lonely. And so to see someone out there who is facing the hardship and persevering in the strength of Christ with the Holy Spirit, to see someone who is out there and looking at you and saying, you know what, you can do this not because of you, but because of Christ in you. Hey, and I'm here with you. You're not alone. That is the encouragement and joy of the gospel through each other. We bring that encouragement. So we're calling each other to the love of God, the faithfulness of God, and the cause of Christ over and over again just in our deep fellowship and partici with participation, right? Sharing in each other's lives. So did you notice that I skipped verse 6? Um, I did. And just in case you're, you're tempted to kind of in, come to that place of being overwhelmed. Because what I encounter in our busy culture by so many faithful Christ followers, people who are really kind of yearning and desiring to follow Christ with their life in a real way, is just that there's not enough time, there's not enough energy, there's not enough people to come alongside you, there's not enough time for you to come alongside them, and just this exasperated thing. And so in case you're kind of finding yourself at that place once again, just saying it's kind of impossible, the Lord led Paul to throw in this caveat so he says, and I'm sure of this, this is verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Man, for us to live with joy, contentment, encouragement, and peace, we need assurance. We need confidence. We need, we need to, be like, to, to be sustained. And this verse is such a great comfort and kindness. You know, and, and he and yet he follows this verse kind of what we just read in seven. He's like, and I'm I'm confident I'm confident that this is gonna happen in you because I have seen you walk faithfully. It's that same thing what we just talked about. Like, hey, remember, you can do this. I've seen you in this, I see this in you. I've you've done this before and I've seen it. And so it's just that very tangible work of encouragement. But really, what do we see here? Did you see what Paul's confidence is in? It's not in himself. It's not in them. Again, they're not perfect. Neither is Paul. It's not in their effectiveness at loving one another. It's not in their effectiveness at having gospel impact. That's not his confidence. 
Yes, he's encouraged by their faithfulness, but that's not his confidence. His confidence is in the ongoing, patient, grace-filled, transforming work of Christ in all of our lives. That's his confidence, is that he has committed what he has begun in you to complete it in you. That's the confidence of Paul. That's our, that's our relief in this moment because it is hard. It is hard. We, we will fail and come up short in the day-to-day, but when our lives are rooted in the gospel of Jesus, we will see a persevering love and hope and grace and patience that allows all things to be encouraging, allows all things to be a source of assurance and contentment. So lastly, we give the encouragement of the gospel by modeling hope-filled humility and grace to one another. In our hope-filled assurance, we ask for help. We ask for forgiveness. We give help. We give forgiveness. We give grace. And we give and share the truth of God. So that's our, that's our opportunity. I mean, it starts with Jesus. Like, and, and, and it starts with a saving faith, a trust that he is the one who makes us whole and redeems us. He is the one who restores us into fellowship with God and what we were created for. But yet, to see this beautiful opportunity that we have to encourage each other in our times of prayer, to encourage each other in our partnership of the gospel in both friendship and mission, and to encourage each other with joy of the gospel by modeling hope-filled humility and grace to one another. And as I pondered this over the past few weeks, I, I feel like I've been given a glimpse of something important. And it started with me. And because, I, I mean, this is beautiful. I have such a hard time experiencing this. I live with so much discontentment over the state of our community. And that's just the honest truth. And it is not your fault. It is my heart. And <coughs> sorry, that was loud. And this is getting real. So hold on one sec. Mm. So there are, there are lies that Satan wants us to believe about the community God intends for us. And these lies have, have had way too much real estate in my heart and mind. And the first one is this, this lie of, of, like, of legalism, that, that this community that we've been given is an obligation, and, and you have to do it, and it's this driving guilt of doing enough. And, and instead of enjoying the gift of each other, we are... We be like all the times that we have opportunity. We now put in this this list of of these myriads of weights on our lives, and we feel obliged to do it as opposed to a, the gift that it's meant to be. And it's such a lie. And it is. And Satan is a deceiver, and that's what he wants. He's like, hey, I can't defeat the church. Praise God for that. God's promised that. But man, I sure can make them not like it. And so first off, it's just the guilt of legalism that we were made to lose sight of the gift that we have in others and the gift we can be to others in the work of the gospel. The other lie is that, that it's something to achieve. And we, and we end up being crushed by the burden of achieving something in our community. And we have this idealized view, albeit a, like something that has truth in it, of what it could be. But again, like we're human and we, have, we don't have infinite reservoirs of time and energy in space. We can't be everywhere at one time. And so, but when we, when we still pursue this, this, this unrealized, idealistic, unrealistic thing, 
We are crushed by the burden of achievement when we set out to do it. No matter what, whether it's legalism or this need to achieve and for it to be enough, something's always missing. There's always someone grumbling. There's always someone left out. There's always some mission not being met, some need not being pursued, and it just never measures up, and it just doesn't seem to satisfy. So these are the lies that we want to identify and like just kind of humbly say, hey, what happens? Well, let's, let's finish this thought and we'll close with that thought. God gave us each other as part of his delivery system of his grace and truth and love to one another. Like, what, a, what a cool thing. Like we get to be that. We get to do that. We get to experience that. That's humbling. I don't deserve it. I don't feel like I can do it. When our life orients around the gospel of Jesus, the good news of what he's done in us and wants to do in all the world, we are enabled to be a gift to others and allow others to be a gift to us, and that is huge. Yes, like I think we so often get exasperated by the thought of being a gift to others. We forget that like part of the opportunity is we need to open up and allow others to be a gift to us. And make the need known, bring things into the light. This is an opportunity. My friend Nick, who pastors Resonate Church in Austin, uh, put it this way this week. He said, in our shared lives in the gospel, we can do these things. This is what happens when we come together and share life in honest, in honest ways. Bringing our questions to truth together. Bringing our questions to who, of who is God and what does he want for us. What has he done in Christ? Doing it humbly and honestly together. We, we realign ourselves with our purpose. Remember, it's not just about the daily grind. It's not just about the dollars in the bank. It's not just about the title on the nameplate. It's not just about the, the, the status of your family or whatever else. We realign ourselves with our purpose. We are the children of God for his glory and his purpose. We are restored and redeemed and loved, and we get to live as purveyors of this love and truth. Secondly, we are reminded that we are not alone. Again, that we've already said this, but we need that. Like, we're not alone. We need to know that. The, the world is crying out and feeling alone. And it, this is our opportunity to live it and to invite others in. So next, we center our attention on Jesus. Man, there are so many voices and truth claims out there that just bombard. And we all live with these echo chambers. And man, those echo chambers will never sit empty. They will always get filled. And what are we filling them with? That's why it's important for us to personally pursue relationship with God. He has invited us in that, in prayer and in word and in fellowship. And that's where we get to do this together. We get to call each other to prayer and point each other to truth. And so we can fill each other's echo chambers with the truth of Jesus and what he's done for us. And then next, we encourage and build one another up. May I pray that we are a community that sees each other as God does, that sees that sees the potential as the work of grace in the gospel works in us, that sees what is good and calls each other to better. And then through all this, we become a family of faith. And that is, if we want to be re like kind of register with any kind of metaphor, it is that of family. Um, we're not an organization uh, just to be an organization. We're not, um, you know, just some kind of like benevolence kind of mission group, we are a family called together in this place and this time. So this is why we see, su see such deep affection from Paul in verse 8. They belong to him 
and he belongs to, to them. They belong to him, and he belongs to them. And it is so deep, and he can say, God will be my witness, because again, God is the source of this kind of love and appreciation and contentment. So Paul, through all the Philippians, over and over again, makes it all about the gospel and leaves us with the implications of what would happen if we did the same in our lives. That's the opportunity. Just in the conversational space, are we taking the opportunity and letting it happen that we would somehow root the gospel deeper into each other's lives, invite people into the gospel of Jesus and his glorious good work? So we do that. We will find that he is our belonging, our hope, our security, our identity, our peace, our success. He is everything. And so I want to ask, have you trusted him above all else today? Have you surrendered your need and brokenness to him? That is the starting of the journey of hope and contentment and joy. And then as we pursue together, and we can start now even if that's where you are, and we continue as we continue to lean into Jesus daily and lean into one another. Let me pray. Um, God, what a glorious picture of your promise. God, first off, just don't let us blow past Jesus. I pray that as we talk about community, that would only lead us and root us deeper into the work of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your love, for your grace. Continue to move now in Jesus' name, amen.